We use our phones for everything at this point, and I am absolutely guilty of that. I look up recipes on my phone. I meal plan on my phone. I use my GPS, even though I know where I'm going. (laughs) (laughs) But did you know that you can also use your phone for some sexy me time? Don't worry. Your fantasies are safe with Dipsy. Just don't forget to use your headphones. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with vampires, Greek gods, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy written stories to read. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time. Explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or even heat things up with a partner. For listeners of our show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash justbreakup. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash justbreakup dipsystories.com slash just break up. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like insensitive coworkers, relationship competition, and the tedium of dating. I liked your like emotional into intonation during that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like to add a little flavor to it, you know? <laughs> but before we begin, we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning, which is that Sierra and I are not licensed mental health professionals. We're just two Geminis who apparently think that they can give people advice. <laughs> Yes, we just posted like a couple weeks ago the hysterical drag from CoStar, the astrology <laughs> app. It was like a tweet that was like, Aries have podcasts and some other astrology sign have therapists and Geminis have podcasts where they pretend to be therapists. <laughs> <laughs> Which, Which is us. Painfully accurate. No, I know. I don't pretend to be a therapist because like I have actually thought about doing that and was like, no, I don't have the capacity to do that. Instead, (laughs) I just want to talk to Sam, you know, once or twice a week, record it and put it out to a bunch of people. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Anyway, this is all to say Sam and I are not professional therapists. We are not trained in any of this. We are not professionals in the mental health or relationship help field. So please take our advice as you see fit. We are just here to offer our humble musings to hopefully shed some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding, but mostly confusing experience that is love. All right. So for this week's check-in topic, we are bringing back my new favorite game, which is where Sam and I rate relationship advice memes from the internet. And uh-huh. y'all, I'm so tickled that you're enjoying this new little segment. And beca- because specifically, I got all of these memes from people who sent them to us, <laughs> who DM'd right. us and said, like, please rate this next time or whatever. <laughs> so th- shout out to all y'all who did this. Um, thanks Thanks for that. And uh, here we go. So the first meme that we're rating is from Girly Czar, Girly Z-A-R handle. 
And it says, if you don't look at her and see a family, leave her alone. <laughs> First what? of all, grammatically, <laughs> if you don't look at her, like, just don't even look at her. Just don't keep you your face away. <laughs> look at her and see a family. So uh, technically, I think leave we should say, alone. if you look at her and don't see a family, leave her alone. Who's, whose family are we seeing? <laughs> Just like, like I'm really ghost? confused by this. Like a ghost family. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, it, um, is she supposed to be surrounded by spirits? Like, I don't. Yeah. 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 Is the Ooh, idea love, of like, if you look, I love at, the witchy you, <laughs> interpretation of this. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Is the idea that if you look at her and you don't see her as a potential wife and mother to your children, then don't right. talk to her. Right. Cool. Yeah, that's the <laughs> role of women in society is to be just wives and mothers for sure. Yeah, she has no other inherent worth in her besides the fact that she can birth children for yeah. you. Yeah. Awesome. Let's, let's I love edit that. this grammatically to say if you look at her and don't see small spirity children following her around <laughs> yeah, I like that into better. the third dimension, <laughs> yes. leave her alone. If you, if you don't see her. And see her surrounded by all of the menacing spirits that she will call upon if you fuck her over, <laughs> then leave her alone. That's it right there. That's it. All right. So obviously we don't like that one. <laughs> I'm going to rate that a zero out of 10 or a one out of yeah. 10 for comedic value. <laughs> that it you know brought what? Maybe to it works life. in particular communities, right? Who might be focused on motherhood and family. And like, that's the big thing. Yeah. That's not for, that's well, not for me. Oh, actually, that's a great point. Let's let let's like take the comedy and the sass out of it. Like, <laughs> uh, how about this? Let me rephrase this whole thing away from spirits and gender roles in relationships. Mm-hmm. If you look at somebody and don't see the share like shared future like relationship vision or the goals for your life, you know what I mean? Like if they just like inherently don't align with what you want in your life, like I don't even know if I would then say, like, leave them alone. I would be like, maybe have some curiosity and compassion to why you are spending time with this person. <laughs> you know, like, um, you know, yeah, that's not pithy. That's not pithy enough for Instagram. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why I stopped making memes. Um, OK, so I mean, there's something real there. So I'll say like two out of ten. Like if you're if you, if you look at somebody, what you're going with zero, you said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's the implied so, heteronormativity, yeah. Yeah, 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 forced yeah, yeah. monogamy. Yeah, that's inherent in that. that yeah, zero out of ten for me. Okay, here we go. Next one from Haley Page McGee, a codependency recovery coach, writes: Ironically, people pleasing in order to feel a sense of belonging typically leads to the opposite outcome: feeling unseen and unknown. A sense of belonging only arises when we feel seen and accepted for who we truly are. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't that a Brene Brown coat? Isn't that like directly taken from Braving the Wilderness? I, uh, I'm not here to start fucking beef with this recovery coach. <laughs> Apparently Blackwell is though, so. <laughs> um, I mean, like sense of belonging from that book, whatever, the true nature of belonging or something what it was the title mm-hmm. of her work um but i do yeah i mean i agree with i agree with this yeah absolutely because we think of belonging as as approval right like people are giving us 
they're they're saying, cool, you're like us. You can be part of this group with us. Um, and what Brene Brown argues, and apparently this other person, is that belonging is actually about a deep sense of self, the recognition that I, anywhere I go, I belong because I am inherently wonder- lovable. I am inherently worthy. And the idea of like people pleasing is like, you're denying parts of yourself to please other yes. people, which is not yeah. belonging because you're you're changing or you're hiding parts of yourself in order to yes. fit in, which is very yeah. different than belonging, at least in the way that Renee Brown talks about it. Yeah, that's all. I, I agree with all of that. And I also think it's super fresh of us to start beef with this recovery coach for s- stealing Brene Brown ideology when literally our sure. podcast is built on it. <laughs> to be clear, I was not starting beef. I was no, no, just I asking just questions. Uh, this is my Joe Rogan <laughs> moment over here. I was just oh asking God. questions. <laughs> Falls over and dies. <laughs> that is so funny. Um, okay. Yes, I would say 10 out of 10 for me. Yeah, that's great. Love it. Okay. Okay. (laughs) These next two are from the same account and I, I'm going to save the, it's, it's going to be a reveal after the, the, (laughs) after I read this meme. Okay. I may not be the one you marry, but I'll be the one you'll be thinking about 20 years from now while you are listening to oldies and holding a drink that tastes like regret as you look over at the, (laughs) I'm sorry. As you look over at the ugly lump of fuck you are stuck with. Oh my God. Wait a minute, Sam, Sam, wait. The account, the account it's from is called Women Healing Love. (laughs) Um, Give them a follow. I love this advice. Resentment, spite, Bitterness. Oh, man, my pregnant that belly is how I think about. That's, that's what I think of when I think of women <laughs> healing and love, for sure. The ugly lump of fuck you are stuck with. <laughs> Honestly, I was so into it until they said that ugly lump of fuck part. Like, it's like, why know, did we have to bring the so, other person into it? Like, they could be kind and wonderful. I'm not upset about the idea of like you're gonna regret breaking up with me. Like, fine. Like, great vengeful energy. Love it. But like Ooh, it was the, uh, is... the ugly lump of fuck that really I was like oh no that went from like I don't even eh, have... maybe to like I don't even no, have no, no. words for this one. <laughs> I don't even have words. Uh yeah. So That's great. That's great. <laughs> give them give them a follow. Women healing mm. love. <laughs> yeah. Are the women healing the love? Is that <laughs> I know. No, I like to I, I like to think of it in terms of like eat, pray, love. Like there's women, comma, healing, comma, love, period. <laughs> that is a Russian bot account and it's probably giving all sorts of misinformation about Ukraine right now. <laughs> oh no, it's literally just relationship memes. <laughs> like it's, oh it's, no. Oh god. Uh literally um oh my god (laughs) like i just i honestly closed that meme and looked at another one that i had that i didn't have pulled up because it wasn't sent to us and this one says 80 percent of women use silence to express pain you know she is truly hurt when she chooses to ignore you first of all (laughs) let me see the data (laughs) (laughs) yeah right like what what study are we using to to cite that yes yes wow okay Okay. yeah anyway we don't even need to That one was just merely for entertainment. We don't need to rate it. (laughs) But from the same account, somebody sent this to us and was like, I am trying to understand this, but okay. From the same account, healing, comma, 
I mean, women, comma, healing, comma, love. <laughs> uh-huh, yep. Don't ask them again. If someone uses oh, repeatedly no. that, I don't know, I'm not sure, or ignores your talk every time when you try to ask out something really important, period. They aren't for you, period. Kindly don't ask again and waste your time. Save your self-respect and just relax with yourself. Stop waiting for the closure from their side. Just get out of that shit. You, you're, you need your mental peace more than anyone. <laughs> it was hard to read, but like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interpret that for me. <laughs> so basically, don't ask for things twice because if they don't do it the first time, they're never going to do it. And yes. You should respect and yourself more. Than having to ask for something twice. That okay. I'm actually so glad you pulled that thread out of there because I think that's like an actual interesting human trait that we exhibit. I think a lot, which is like, do we we pit our things like our self respect against asking for help or against right. vulnerability? You know, and I think that's a lose lose situation, right? When we pit, mm-hmm. oh well, I'm not gonna like, uh. I'm not going to devalue myself by asking somebody for help or repeating myself or like if you didn't get it the first time, then you know, there's a difference between repeatedly asking for something and the person saying like, I'm going to do that and then never following through or repeatedly asking for someone and somebody like gaslighting you into being like, you've never asked me for that before. How was I supposed to know? Right. Like, that's not cool. That's that's that is bad behavior. Right. And having to ask for something repeatedly and the partner like doing something about it too. Right. Or like forgetting once, you know what I mean? Like there's, it's just like, there's so much nuance there because we're human beings in relationship with other human beings who honestly are not spending as much time thinking about us as we're, we think about ourselves. Right. (laughs) And that's not about your self-respect or respect to you. It's like the reality of the fact that we are all like, in our own worlds, focusing on our own things. And sometimes we might forget what our partner asked us for, or we might not follow through and you might have to ask again, right? Like I ask Peter for the same things over and over and over again, and he does them most of the time, right? Yeah. But like, I don't, I can't live in a world where I have, where Peter anticipates every single one of my needs before I have it, right? Like that's that's an unreasonable expectation. And that's not him not respecting me. That's just him not being in my body. Right. That's just him not knowing me as deeply as I know myself. Right. And I, I think the scenario that this relationship, this meme is trying to comment upon is the one of like, do you want to be with me? You know, like. Are we a couple, you know, what, you know, like these, these core establishing things. And I, and I do actually agree with the idea of like, are, have they not answered you or did they tell you something you don't want to hear? You know what I mean? Like, are you not taking their answer to, to heart or are you looking for closure in something that they're going to say? Um, However, Nine times out of 10 in, in actual relationships, we need to ask for things we're not mm-hmm. mind readers and that asking for things doesn't mean that you are disrespecting yourself or losing value in the relationship. So right. I don't know. But I do. I think the way that you're interpreting it is probably what they wanted to say, which like I absolutely I think that I agree with of like 
so often we do that thing where we are asked for the thing and we they say we no or they 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 say silence or they like skirt around the thing um and and that is an answer in itself yeah for sure and having the self-respect to be like this isn't what i want i don't want someone who's going to be like half in with me i want someone who's going to be like fully in with me yeah that that makes sense to me yeah that's great yeah i'll do i'll do a four out of ten five five out of ten but like a really hesitant it's like a go for it if that's what they meant (laughs) not great if if my interpretation is i would love to see the full fleshed out version of that scale like if every like notch had like a samism you know (laughs) love that okay Just right, like my one. face going from like really frowny and frustrated <laughs> to like really happy and like increments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How's Sam feeling today sort of thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Next one is from from both sides of the couch is the is the handle. Unpopular opinion. There's no such thing as the right person at the wrong time. It is simply something we tell ourselves out of denial because we aren't ready to accept the reality of the situation that it isn't meant to be because whatever is meant for you will not leave you. Yeah. I mean, I agree with all of that except for the last sentence, but yeah, (laughs) I mean, no, I still agree with that. Yeah. I mean, we talk all the time on the podcast about how circumstances, context, timing, the situations that we're in, are part of the relationship. They're not separate from it. They're not, they're not something that like is getting in the way. It's like, no relationships are made up of the context that they're in. Yes. So like, yeah, that makes sense that it's like, it's not right person, wrong time, because if it was the right person, it would also be the right time. I think we find comfort in that phrase. I think it Mm -hmm. allows, you know, I think about like our modes of grief. And sometimes when we, we need, we need certain things to grieve, you know, we need to think that somebody's in a better place or, you know, that, that it was the right person, but it was the wrong time. I think it, I think the right person, the wrong time is a tactic for getting closure, but do I holistically spiritually believe in it? Well, I think I'm more aligned with this meme in that, like, if it was the right person, then the timing wouldn't be wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. but also like, how about this? I think I just, I think it's as is every single human experience we talk about on this podcast. It's so much more nuanced than 20 words in a meme because mm-hmm. um, that, that person could, could be totally compatible for you and literally just have like a job offer across the country and that sounds like just the wrong time to me or you know like um it's there's so much that goes into the quote right person right Mm -hmm. if that framework of like right person wrong time helps you move on right to be like to, to to have love for that person and be like oh they were so wonderful so great and it was just the wrong time right like cool that's that's helpful. But if it's like right person, wrong time. And now I have in my head, all of these fantasies about Mm -hmm. what could have happened or what should have happened or, or the injustice and unfairness of the world and how it needs to like write itself. Like that's not super helpful in the context of like, this person is not for you. right? Right. So like, how are you using this, this framework for yourself? And is it, is it helping your healing and helping you sort of move towards moving on? Or is it like keeping you in this place of, 
yearning slash nostalgia, right? Putting this person on a pedestal. Yeah, absolutely. Which is not, which is we know is like not super helpful for folks right. to move towards something different. Right. And this, and this last sentence that you had a little bit of a hesitancy about, I did too, because whatever it, it reads, because, because whatever is meant for you will not leave you. I was like, eh, I don't know about that. But if we recontextualize this, it's like the right person at the wrong time, but you want to be with someone who wants to be with you. So they're inherently not the right person sort of thing. Right. The implication there is that meant for you means a forever relationship. And there can be Mm. things that are meant for you that come to an end. Right. And the person leaves you. But in in that moment, right. Again, contextual in that moment, in that place in your life, in that time, that was exactly what you wanted or exactly what you needed. And then you transition to into a new understanding of yourself or a new circumstance. And you're like, this isn't what I need anymore. And that person leaves you like doesn't mean that they weren't meant for you. It just means that they're not meant for you in this moment. You just love it. You know, that, that meme where it's like people like the enlightenment meme where you go up in levels of enlightenment. <laughs> you just brought us all to the next level. <laughs> Great. Our brains are exploding. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and let, I think this meme is a perfect reminder that there's so much nuance in the human experience that it can never be fully encapsulated into a 20 word meme or an hour long podcast episode. Like we are all approaching things with certain perspectives and lenses and we're using quotes and phrases and ideology and perspective to, to get us into a new space or to move on or to heal or whatever. And that's, that's like so powerful. That's the power of words, you know, um, that, that we can, they can take us from one modality to another. And also they still can be missing so much other perspective or other context. And, uh, so like, I totally agree with this meme. And also we could have like a 30 minute conversation about everything that it's missing or, you know, everything that it doesn't touch on. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah. Uh, I'll I'll give this like a 9.5 out of 10. Yeah, great. I love it. Okay, cool. Okay, great. Great check-in. Love that. Love that people love it. I know. I love that they send those to us. So thank you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right, let's get into our letters. So this first letter comes from Vanessa Anonymous, who pronoun- whose pronouns are she, her, and who's writing from hell, LOL. <laughs> Uh, Vanessa writes, hi, it is great being read by you. I am struggling with some of my coworkers. I am 23, but have worked at this office since I was 18. All of my other coworkers are 40 plus. I share an office with two others, one of which I have known since I first started working there. We've developed a nice friendship and she knows a lot about my personal life. Let's call her Deb. The other is an older man who just recently started working here after coming out of retirement. Let's call him Joe. They have conversations that can sometimes be very triggering for me. A few weeks ago, they were talking about how they love when couples get married young and can grow old together, problem solve together, etc. I got married at 18 and lost my husband to an overdose two and a half years later when I was 20. Hmm. This conversation was clearly a hard one for me to overhear, especially with Deb knowing how and when I lost my husband and not being sensitive to that, even though I was in the same room. I went to the bathroom and cried and then just had to continue with work as usual. I don't feel like I can say my piece because it is the workplace, especially when Joe doesn't know about my relationship status as a widow. Yesterday, Deb had just gotten off the phone. She said how she was on the phone with an 18-year-old and was really surprised at how polite they were. 
Joe then proceeded to say that it was thanks to good parenting. I also grew up in a very abusive home, but I'm quite polite. I started working at this firm when I was 18, so clearly 18-year-olds are not inherently rude or stupid or incapable or whatever she meant by saying that. It just really irked me and made me mad to overhear that. I find myself being triggered by a lot of things they say that relate to my past traumas. I'm in therapy and working through some of my traumas, but it can still be really hard to overhear and not say anything. Do you think in this circumstance it would be appropriate to say something? I don't feel like I should be subject to this at the workplace, but I'm also not sure if I'm being too sensitive. I don't want to yell at them or cuss them out or anything, but just say that these topics hit hard for me and I would appreciate that they didn't discuss those things when I'm in the room. Do you think that would be appropriate? What should I say or how should I phrase it to not come across like an asshole? I'm also truly afraid of confrontation, but I am starting to get really tired of crying at work and having to hide. Thank you. I really mm. appreciate what you guys are doing and the topics you are tackling. You are a bright light for me. Oh, thank you so much for writing, Vanessa Anonymous. Uh, yeah, this is an interesting question. And I think Sam and I are both grateful to answer it, particularly because it touches on workplace dynamics and workplace relationships and similarly to friendships and family dynamics we tend to forget that like our relationship tools can be applied to or often are required to be applied to other relationships outside of romantic ones which we sort of culturally prioritize in the conversations about like i don't know boundaries and um Mm -hmm. autonomy and what whatnot so um we're grateful to be able to talk about this workplace dynamic and i'm also sorry for your loss and sorry that you're feeling stressed by these relationships or these comments um, i can tell you're feeling a tension between your authentic self and this workplace self like you're not really sure what to do with that dynamic yeah and i think you're also dealing with a little bit of ageism here as well in terms of like the assumptions that these these older coworkers are making about younger people. And like, that's really frustrating too. Um, so like adding on that layer of like identity to this as well just makes it, makes it tricky too. Um, so like a couple of things that I'll say, um, first of all, that I'm really sorry about your, your husband. Um, and I'm, I'm so sorry that you're sort of dealing with that loss at such a young age um, and in such a, a challenging way as well. Um, and what I'll say about this too is our pain is really exquisite to us, mm. right? So we're often really aware of our pain and how deeply we're feeling it. Our pain is often not exquisite to other people, right? Which is to say that our, that other people aren't thinking about our pain or experiencing our pain in the same way that we are. And it sucks, right, that people can just sort of walk through the, the world stepping on our toes or hitting us directly in the weakest spot um, or to when we've confessed something about our experience or what has happened to us um, and somebody doesn't take that into account when they're having a different conversation with other people. Um, and that doesn't mean that they are bad people. It just means that they're people, right, and that they're not aware of the ways in which the things that they say or the things that they do can be deeply triggering or deeply hurtful or um, can cause us a lot of pain. Um, and I wish that we could live in a world where you tell somebody about something that tragic or um, traumatizing that's happened to you and they immediately know exactly what to do and what to talk about and not talk about. Um, 
And that doesn't happen. Like Target isn't going to stop selling Father's Day cards. (laughs) You Mm. know what I mean? Like and and walking into Target and walking by the card section and saying and seeing thousands of cards that say Happy Father's Day, Happy Father's Day is deeply hurtful to me. It is awful, right? It reminds me of the fact that my dad is dead mm-hmm. and that nobody cares. I mean, lots of people care, right? But the world keeps going. It keeps on spinning. Like the the churn of capitalism keeps on coming. Um, and, right, people around me wish Happy Father's Day to people around me all the time, which is also deeply harmful, like hurtful to me. It's it's a painful memory of the fact that like my dad is dead and I don't get to wish him a Happy Father's Day. And I wish people would stop doing it. And... Also, I want people to wish people happy Father's Day, right? I want us to celebrate fathers that are alive and that or and also fathers that have passed too that that people love and they appreciate and they want in their life. And it is a uniquely painful experience to feel like no one else sees your pain in the same way that that you do. Right. It is a painful experience to see other people move on with their life without constantly having to think about the loss, right? Mm-hmm. In the way that that I'm sure you do and the way that I do and the way that lots of people who have lost people who are who are deeply dear to them have to do every day. Um, and it's not going to stop. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just not going to stop. It's going to always happen. So the question for you is, how are you taking care of yourself in the situations where that happens? And how are you forgiving yourself slash giving yourself grace slash recognizing that feeling sad isn't a bad thing, right? Feeling sad is a reminder of how much you loved your husband. Feeling sad is a human emotion that so many of us are going to go through. It doesn't feel good, right? In the same way that lots of things that we do or go through don't feel good for us. And that serves a purpose, right? Sadness reminds us of the love that we had. Sadness reminds us of empathy for other people, right? It, it opens up the possibility of understanding more deeply pain that other people are going through. And so I'm, I'm really sorry that these moments have caused you deep sadness. And I'll say to that, that sadness is what makes you human. That mm. sadness offers you such a beautiful, wonderful experience into something that most people aren't ever going to know. <laughs> and and I, at least in my experience, have had to come to really understand sadness, not as something bad that should never happen to me, but as a deeply important and beautiful part of my experience of my life and my relationship with my dad. Wow, Sam, that was A plus. <laughs> Another enlightenment level <laughs> unlocked by Sam yeah. Blackwell for us. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Wow. I totally am in alignment and I'm grateful for all the perspective you just shared. I will humbly (laughs) add, um, I think that there is an opportunity here, like Sam said, of embracing this, this sadness, embracing your compassion that these people, um, unfortunately or fortunately or, or ignorantly or not ignorantly don't know that they're being hurtful or don't know the pain that these offhanded comments are causing you. But if I could just offer a small perspective shift as well in terms of looking at these people who you work with every day, but you're not intimate with, right? Mm. And I don't mean like romantically. I'm saying like, I think we forget that the coworkers we see every day 
are not privy to our vulnerable, intimate lives, you know, that mm-hmm. they aren't in Brene Brown's vulnerability arena with us. And or even more importantly, they're not in the intimacies of our life, right? Um, that they could not be privy to everything that we need from them or want want from them. And also, is there an opportunity for you to grow a small amount of intimacy with one coworker or two, or two coworkers in which you can say, hey, this happened to me. Um, I don't like discussing it in the office. Can you help me be more sensitive of that? Like, I, I, I think that there is opportunity to stand up for that authentic voice in you that's like, I don't know where I fit into this workplace. And more importantly, I want you to recognize that even though these people's comments hurt you, they don't know you. They don't, they don't have access to the deepest, most intimate, most authentic, vulnerable parts of you. So that pain is, oh my God, that pain is so real and so valid. And also you can, maybe there's like a, there's a subconscious perspective shift that you can say is that like this hurts, but it's not about me because they mm-hmm. don't know me. They don't know right. my core. They don't know my wounds. They don't know my strengths. You know, is there yep. a way that you can distance these these offhanded comments um, from from your trauma? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I still struggle with this. Yeah, but the part of the the thing that I'm I have been trying to do is rather than correct people's behavior instead show the intimacy and vulnerability of, of the fact that I'm, that I'm hurting. Right. So instead of being like, Oh my God, I can't believe that that person is talking about dads in front of me instead being like, Oh, this conversation just really makes me miss my dad. Because again, sadness is not a bad thing, (laughs) you know, like, Constant sadness, right? Like depression, like we can talk about the sort of like how how that is deeply impacting our lives. But like sadness is not a good or bad emotion. It is just an emotion that that comes up in us. And so how are we expressing it in the same way that if you um, did something you were really proud of at work, you would say like, oh, my God, this is so exciting. I'm so proud of this. So that it's not like. I think here's what I'll say. I think my frustration with people who who trigger me in this way around around stuff around my dad is that I just don't feel seen, right? Is that I just don't feel like they understand what's happening within me. And the solution to that is not to get them to stop doing the thing. The solution to that is to to show them the thing, the part of me that's hurting. Um, and you can't do this with everyone, right? Like, you know, do this with people you trust. But how can you how can you sort of reframe it for yourself to say? It's not their job to never talk about young love. It's not. And if this is hurting me, I'm allowed to show that it's hurting me, right? Not in a way of like, stop talking about that. You're awful people. But in a way of like, oh, this conversation is really hitting me because of my relationship with my husband, right? This conversation is hitting me in a in a really, in the heart because of the fact that I lost my husband so, so young and like, and I now I have to like go back to work and that's just so hard. It's so hard to have to to parse through this. Like, how can you sort of express that to them or even just to yourself? Yeah. Right. I, I love that language because I think the two pivots could be, I mean, there's, I'm sure there's more than two, but the pivots are 
I love the language you use when you said they don't, they're not really seeing me or you don't feel seen. So your two options are to, to invite them to see you, to invite them mm -hmm. to see your full intimate pain um, to whatever level of comfort is right for that relationship or self-soothe by saying they don't see me. You know what I mean? Like there is, yeah. there is a weird clarity there to say like, this hurts and my pain is real. And also, mm -hmm. I'm not going to look to them to validate a pain that they don't know exists. Right. Um, which is hard, which right. is totally hard. Speaking to the ageism comment or like the 18-year-olds being polite comment, like, I think that's just like a maybe a personal wound for you. I, I, and I validate that wound. And I also say the coworker probably forgot that you were 18 when you started there. And the coworker <laughs> okay. wasn't, I mean, in the same vein that Sam often says, like people are not thinking about us as much as we think that they are. I don't think that was like a backhanded comment about you and your potential as a young person. Was it a, a weird, mildly ageist comment that like, <laughs> came from this one person's experience of young people, fuck, I don't know. I don't know this person or whatever. <laughs> but in terms of another another perspective for you to be able to unpack those like weird little comments like that, if you hear more of them, just be like, these people, again, they're not in the arena with me. They don't know me intimately. And that was like a weird comment to say that I have every right to say like, huh, that's funny. I was 18 when I started here. <laughs> you know, like, mm -hmm. um, I think that there's a, I relate to parts of your letter in that I know what it feels like to be to to feel like you're almost a prisoner of your trauma responses that you are that you are not in control of what you react to, you know, and like mm -hmm. sometimes I felt like my feelings got hurt without my permission, you know. Um so I just offer that as like a different perspective of saying like this person was that might have hurt me, but they weren't commenting upon me and if they were, then they were being a weird passive, like four years later, sort of, um, I don't know. The idea that teenagers are somehow impolite is like, is ageism for totally. sure. And I think that this is a conversation that, that you could have with them if you, if you wanted to, like, I think it's really appropriate for you to say like, Hey, when you said the thing about 18 year olds, like I'm also a young person and I started here when I was 18. So like this idea that all 18 year olds are going to, are like inherently rude, um, is harmful for me or like it hurts my feelings. So can we just check that? Or, you know, like you can have that conversation with these people if you want to. Um, and if you don't, that's also great. And then what are your coping mechanisms for dealing with the fact that, that their yeah. behavior is probably not going to change inherently. Yeah. So like what, how are you soothing yourself to recognize the fact that like, this is the best that they're capable of, right? Like this is yeah. the thing that they're going to do. They don't this see is me. What, right. They don't see me. They have these weird beliefs about young people. Um, so what am I going to, how am I going to sort of uh, deal with and cope with the fact that I can expect this kind of stuff to continue to happen. Um, and that doesn't mean that they're bad people. It doesn't mean that I'm somehow like a weak person, but again, it's like we can't walk through the world thinking that we're never going to encounter something that's going to remind us of something hurtful that happened to us or something sad or um, or harmful that happened to us. And we're not going to be able to walk through the world without people making stupid comments about age or race <laughs> or gender or like, right? Um, so again, what are what are the tools that you have to, to help sort of 
handle that as those things come up. Um, and those right. tools could be communication with people and saying like, I'm deeply hurt by what you said. Um, and I want you to see that. Or it could be, I don't need to confront them about this because I know that my experience is a hundred percent real and valid. And the fact that they don't That's see it, it doesn't mean that it doesn't, didn't happen. And it is also okay to cry in the bathroom sometimes. You know what I mean? Like that's it. I think that's just like a, a, a an adult thing that we all encounter, and sucks that then you have to go back to work, right? And that's the the horror of capitalism, right? Like that is <laughs> the that is what we have done to ourselves in sort of placing us in the system that that requires us to uh, work in order to live. Um, and I'm sorry that that's happening. And I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. So what are the things that you're doing to help help support yourself, given the full context of this reality that we live in, where people are yeah. insensitive and people are ageist and people are cogs in a capitalist machine? <laughs> yeah, I think that's perfect. All right, my darling Vanessa Anonymous, um, we hope that this helped. We hope that you feel seen like like we've been describing. We hope that you feel held in this letter and we hope that this helps. Thank you so much for writing. We love you. All right, y'all know that Sam and I record every single episode of Just Break Up virtually. So I literally see this beautiful person on Zoom like multiple times a week. And every time Sam pops up into Zoom, I comment on their outfit. And I swear, like 99% of the time, I'm like, oh my God, that outfit is so cute. Where did you get it? Sam says quince. You too can upgrade your wardrobe with luxury essentials at unbeatable prices. Quince is here to transform the way you shop with a range of high quality items priced within reach. That's right. They have 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat gold jewelry. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middle person and passes that saving on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Y'all have heard me talk about my leather bag that I use as both a laptop bag and a diaper bag. And I love it because (laughs) (laughs) honestly, it looks really cute in every single circumstance that I use it. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash just break up. All right, head and heart workers, you know, I'm all about tackling our money shame and becoming fiscally empowered, regardless of how much money we make or how much debt we have. I think it's such a crucial step in our own self-acceptance and empowerment. That's why I love that today's episode is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. With Rocket Money, you can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, you can just cancel it with a tap. 
you never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled unwanted subscriptions. And listen, we always talk to you about like conflict styles and open and honest communications, but honestly, save your energy and get Rocket Money to cancel those subscriptions for you. <laughs> Stop wasting yeah. you money. You don't need to practice that. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need to do head and heart work with like customer service representatives. You know what I mean? Like just like... Use the middle person. <laughs> Just get Rocket Money in there to help you do what you need to do. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. That's rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. Rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. The next letter comes to us from Competitive AF, whose pronouns are she, her, who is writing to us from non-monogamy is hard USA. <laughs> Love that place. My yeah. favorite city to visit. <laughs> We've made that joke multiple times, but it still makes me laugh because I love picturing like these road signs, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Hi, Sam and Sierra. I really love JBU and the beautiful empathy you extend to your community and our people. Having two queer, kind, genuine voices in my ear every week has been such a massive privilege. I've learned so much from you and also love your new interview series. Thank you for the work you've been doing to expand your own hearts as we get a chance to grow with you. I'm so grateful for you both and for all the times my woes have become a lot more manageable by thinking, what would Sam and Sierra say? Well, fuck, Aww. that is so nice. <laughs> That's really <laughs> Woo! Pregnancy hormones. <laughs> <laughs> I'm non-monogamous, but I think the problem I'm writing to you about today comes up in a lot of relationships. At least I hope I'm not alone in this. I'll give you the bigger picture, but what it boils down to is this. I don't know how to stop being competitive in my romantic relationships. I desperately feel like I need to be my partner's greatest love, and I cannot seem to shake the idea that if I'm not their number one, then I'm worthless. The greater details are that my current partner, Mal, they, them, just broke up with their ex, Josie, she, her. Josie and Mal have been dating for three years until they broke up in February, and I've been dating Mal for a year and a half. I think in part because I came into Mal's life after Josie, a lot of me compared myself to her. It would happen in little and big ways, like Mal and I would have a sweet moment, and I'd wonder if Mal was falling in love with me more than they felt with Josie. Or I wonder if Mal's family would like me less than Josie, or if Mal would take Josie as their plus one to an event and I'd feel like throwing up for two days straight. <laughs> I got a oh, high. No. <laughs> I know. I got a high every time I felt like I quote beat Josie and a massive low every time I quote lost. When in reality, I know that Mal ch choosing to spend time with Josie was just a fact about being non-monogamous and said nothing about their love for me. My higher self knows that love isn't a competition. That's like at least 85% true. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it helped that from the beginning of me and Mal's relationship, Josie was jealous of me and actively tried to get Mal to stop dating me, going so far as requesting that Mal break up with me. 
She refused to meet me and apparently would throw a fit anytime Mal wanted to spend time with me or, God forbid, bring me to events. Mal ended up talking really negatively about Josie to me for most of the time our relationships overlapped, which definitely fueled my competitive side and made me feel good in a fucked up way. Them mm. breaking up only made this bigger. Suddenly, the competitive high was something I was chasing even harder. And when Mal felt sad about the relationship ending... I would sometimes feel a little bit scared that their emotions for Josie were bigger than their emotions for me. Wow, I feel like that sounds terrible. I promised I comforted and held them too. It doesn't sound <laughs> terrible. It sounds very human. It, it doesn't. Yeah, it sounds it Sounds like all of the letters we get. Yeah. You're fine. <laughs> the idea that Mal could love someone as much as they love me sends me into a cold sweat. I love Mal so much, and this relationship has been so good and healing and powerful. And there is a big part of me that wants to be the best partner they've ever had. Whenever they call me their soulmate or say things to me, I am scared that my excitement contains a d big dose of competition. I try to validate myself that a lot of these really hard feelings are circumstantial and maybe anyone in my shoes would feel competitive and jealous the way I do. But mm. the pain is so big that I feel like I'm doing something wrong, like it's this open wound and I keep trying to find the right thing to stitch it up, but everything I try just makes it worse. I'm not sure how to stop feeling this way. Part of me thinks I won't ever be able to be happy in non-monogamy because I'll never stop competing and feeling so upset anytime I, quote, lose. And proof that this is bigger than one relationship is that I went on a first date with a new person. Let's call him Kai, he, him. And the competitive feelings came up within the first few hours. Kai was talking about his current primary partner and made a flippant comment about her. And I thought to myself, wow, I would never do that as though I needed to tell myself I was better than this other person, even though I wasn't emotionally invested or even that into Kai yet. I feel so fucked up when I think about how quickly I get competitive. I've been non-monogamous for a long time now, and this feeling has come up in just about every relationship. But with Mal, it's worse than it's ever felt. We're moving on to a new chapter of our relationship, and I'm desperate to close the old one and leave these competitive feelings behind. I've done a ton of work with my therapist to identify the roots of this. My parents made me feel like I needed to be perfect in order to be loved, and I gained all love and affection through achievement. But identifying that doesn't make it magically go away. Thank you for taking the time to read my thoughts, and thank you again for all that you do. Thank you, Competitive as Fuck, for writing to us um and just to start off here you are not a terrible person for feeling this amount of competition with people you're not a terrible person for feeling breaking out in a cold sweat when you think about the idea that mal could love somebody else besides you um i think that a lot of folks listening to this letter are gonna deeply relate to that that sentiment yes. those experiences that nodding. feeling yeah <laughs> i think one of uh the hosts of this <laughs> podcast also deeply relate to this this feeling yes. um <laughs> and so uh i just want to say that right off the bat because um you're not a bad person and it feels like that's sort of the the underlying message of this letter of like am I bad for having these feelings around competition, right? There's a lot of like tactical stuff in here around like, how do I get rid of these feelings? Like all of that. But underneath, it seems like there's a, a little bit of a, please tell me I'm not terrible. Um, and that's, you're not terrible, right? This yeah. that, that belief that you're carrying with yourself to say like, I'm competitive and therefore I'm a shit human um, is not a, yeah. is definitely not a, 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 
equation that I subscribe to. Yeah, and, and I, I don't think that you should either. <laughs> also, to get even like deeper holistically in this, I don't even think the tone of the letter is please don't please tell me I'm not an asshole. It's I am an asshole. <laughs> like the tone is so self-deprecating. <laughs> yep. yep. Um, and I think it's important to point that out only because I there's a couple things I want to practice like reframing or like um, approaching differently. And one of them is um, the word competitive even. Like I get why you're using it and I do think it applies and it it it. It, it stands to be true, right? That we feel competitive in relationships. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And also, like, I often think about how we talk about anger as a primary, like, hot emotion that covers up other little emotions. I think competitive is similar. What's under mm. competitive? Deeply insecure, um, wounded, afraid. Uh, and when I say insecure, I don't mean, like, you hate yourself or you hate your body or you hate, you know, like all of that. But I I mean like lacking a security, insecure, right? Um, Yes. Yep. Yep. And underneath these competitive things is this perpetual anxiety that you're feeling. If you do anything wrong, like, like your parents taught you, this love is a hundred percent conditional. It's going to go away. Um, You're not worthy you're not worthy of love if you don't perform in a certain way. Like there's there's so much behind competitive. And like I said before, the word competitive works. It holds here, especially because you 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 talk about these wins and loses and beating. But like let's take the let's take the competition out of it. Let's take the capitalism out of it that that like has taught us to to rank ourselves. Mm-hmm. And and behind all of that is this anxious um i don't know self-loathing or or deep distrust in your own inherent worthiness <laughs> mm-hmm. and that that has to be thrown into the gauntlet um to pr- to prove yourself every time you feel these scary feelings come up um sure. and that's exhausting and terrifying and i deeply empathize like with all of this emotional gymnastics that you're doing and the anxious pivots that your brain takes when you feel that insecurity scratched, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's always mm-hmm. there, right? But then when somebody cha- somebody says something that says like, oh, by the way, you don't hear and this other person, I like them too, you hear. And by the way, my love is totally conditional. You don't deserve it in the first place. It's yep. not it's not going to stick around because it's going other places, you know, um, yep. just to be clear, I think the word competitive works. And also there's so much behind it. And if we think of if we, if, if we think of the little child that that learned these coping mechanisms that was never given a stable understanding of love, then, of course, we're going to feel insecure and and competitive Mm -hmm. and like we have to fight to prove ourselves right fight to prove something we might not even believe ourselves which is that we're worthy of this love yeah and i i appreciate you sort of naming that this was a thing that was taught to you and you even you say it in your letter right like this comes from my parents who made me who made me achieve in order to to be loved um so i don't want you to hear this and say oh 
I don't have any self-worth and therefore I'm not worthy of love, <laughs> right? Like, I don't want you to use this as another, put this in your arsenal of reasons why you're failing and and should therefore, and are therefore an asshole who no one will ever love or who's doing everything wrong. Um, I want you to hear that and say, oh, this is a deep wound that I've been taught that I am carrying around with me. And the solution to this isn't to beat it out of me. The solution to this is to to see it and hold it and appreciate it and love it, right? Like what I'm getting a lot also from your letter is just like a lot of meta feelings about this competitiveness that you have, right? Like I feel bad that I'm feeling this thing. Um, and guess what? The competitiveness was taught to you. The competitiveness is not going away. <laughs> it's like you can't just like flip a switch to say that that competitiveness is no longer going to be part of your life, right? Like it's a deeply ingrained and entrenched thing. Mm. And all of us at some point feel competitive. It is, again, like it is a human emotion that we are going to go through. And the point is not to feel bad that that's happening. The point is to say, yep, I recognize what this is. I've been here before. I see this and I know this. And here are the tools I use to help support me in this, right? And it sounds like you already have a lot of tools, Right. It sounds like you're already noticing this competitiveness that's coming up in you and making choices outside of that competitiveness. Right. Mm -hmm. You're saying, yep, I know that there's like a deep wound here that's causing me to be like really upset about the fact that Mal is going out with other people or there's a, this wound in me that I have noticed where I feel like uh, I just need to be their number one love. And you're already making decisions in your relationship with that knowledge to say like, and I don't want to make decisions about how I'm approaching this relationship from that place. I want to make it from a different place. And that's that's the work, friend. Like That's it. The goal is not to never have these feelings of competitiveness. The goal is to recognize them when they're coming up and then decide what we want to do with them. Respond to them instead of just letting them take the wheel. And you're already on that path. You're already working on that. You're already doing it. Yeah. And so how can you get into a place where instead of being like, oh, I'm such a dick for being competitive, instead being like, oh, I know what's coming up here. This is the competitive thing. This is the thing that I was taught about how love works. And I know it's not true. So I'm going to make different decisions about it. I'm going to embrace it and say like, yep, hello, old friend. I know this feeling. I, it comes up all the time. I embrace it. I know it's part of me. And I know it's temporary and I know that I'm capable of making decisions outside of that feeling, right? I'm I'm capable of moving pet through this and past this. Yeah, I love that. Let's do a little micro example of like how you could reroute um, these feelings after acknowledging them. One of the things I relate to most in your letter is, is the self-righteous like pat on the back you got when you're like, oh, I would never be like that. First of all, time out. Totally human. Doesn't make you a bad person. We fucking <laughs> all have thoughts like that. We all have thoughts like that because we all have needs and wounds <laughs> and we, we all want to to be affirmed in ourselves, right? This is just, that's just like a subconscious part of your brain. And even the most enlightened, generous, loving people will have thoughts like that. So that, that out of the way. So an example of what Sam is saying about re like using the tools and deciding to act differently in this, in this micro example would be, okay. So you feel yourself say, Oh, I would never do that. <laughs> like later in the bathroom or at home or wherever, wherever you want to unpack that, Voice it, say like, oh, I felt like a sense of self-righteousness. I felt like I won in that comment. And like, 
acknowledge it and you can laugh at yourself. <laughs> you know, you can be like, mm-hmm. not like cruelly, <laughs> not like a bully, but like, that's so funny that that's how my wound is showing up or my insecurity or whatever. Um, yep. I know, I know this move. I know this move, brain, ego. I know what you're trying to tell me. I know, I know how you're trying to pit me against somebody else so that I can like have a false sense right. of um, self-worth or whatever. And yep. then, and then again, just like we're welcoming these emotions, we're going to name them and we're going to set them aside. So like, and also I know that this person was, how about this? This other person's partner, their primary partner. I know that their primary partner is a complex, worthy, flawed human being just like me. And this and this microcosm of an example of who they are isn't enough to validate my identity, nor do I want it to. It's not enough to validate their identity. I know nothing about them. You know, like yep. unpacking yep. it all, like like acknowledging the motion that your subconscious is doing and also being like, this doesn't mean anything about either of us. Ha! Foolish ego. (laughs) For sure. For sure. And as you're like thinking and talking to that ego, you can treat it with kindness as well, right? The the coping mechanisms that you're using here, this competitiveness got you here, Mm. right? Like it, it brought you to this moment. It was the thing that you're that your ego did to help you figure out how to navigate the world in a way that would protect you. Yeah. Like that's really what it's doing. This competitiveness is protective. Mm. Mm. It's that. not like you woke up one day and were like, yeah, you know what's going to be really great? I'm going to be a dick to everyone, right? Because I know you didn't choose that. <laughs> You're you not being say a dick like, to everyone. Yeah, yeah, right? Like you didn't say like, oh, what's going to be really well, what's going to be really awesome for me is if I'm just really competitive with people, right? Like that's going to be super fun. This was a thing that your that you did, that your ego did to help keep you safe. And now it's not working anymore, right? And so now that it's not working, we get to make different decisions. But you didn't like choose this in a way that to like be a dick. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like you didn't, you didn't choose this because you wanted to, to, to experience this pain, right? Like, yeah, you were trying to be, you were trying to be kind to yourself by protecting yourself by saying like, I got to be hyper aware of what everyone else is doing because I know that if I'm not the best, people aren't going to love me. Right. And that's, that's okay. That's beautiful. That's, that's tragically beautiful that your, that your little ego self decided that that was the thing that you had to do. And now you're aware of it. So now you get to make different decisions and say, I don't need to do this anymore because I know that I and worthy of love, regardless of if I'm the best or not. I want to steal that language really quickly and reapply it to the example I just said. Comparing yeah. yourself to the person's primary partner, when you're unpacking it later, you can say, is this protecting me? Is this really protecting me? <laughs> you know, is, mm-hmm. is this doing what it thinks it's doing? No. Yep. And you can also compare it to the bigger, you know, like the, the, the bigger examples you gave us. Like, am I truly protected is this motion truly protecting me from heartbreak, tragedy, like the universe devastating me? Or is this a tool that I have been taught will protect me? Like, where's the reality right. here? And I want to do one more exercise. Like, I'm not sure how like successful or helpful this will be. <laughs> but mm-hmm. when approaching my feelings of, for me, I feel less competitive and more like thrown into these extremes that you talked about like I don't identify with the word competitive but I identify with the idea of the all or nothing that I have to be the one great love or I'm worthless um and part of my unpacking of that 
of that motion in my subconscious is is to face my fear. <laughs> yeah. Is to literally I, like and again, I don't know how fucking helpful or successful this is going to be and I hope this isn't very triggering but like what if you're not Mal's greatest love? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. Some of this I'm stealing from Byron Katie's The Work, um, which is like a, a way of processing things. If you want to look it up, it's really cool. Um, but something that Byron Katie has her people do um, or part of her process is like looking at what you believe and asking yourself it's, if it's really true. And if it is really true, what does it mean? So let's look at that. Like your belief would be if I am not Mal's greatest love, I am worthless. Is that true? No, it's not true, right? Like the universe doesn't work in such extremes. And even mm-hmm. in our pain, if you if I look you in the eye, if you were in the room with me right now, competitive AF, and I said, is that true? Are you worthless if you are not Mal's number one love? You would look at me and even the most in- wounded competitive part of you would say, no, it's not true. And so if it's not true, what is it then? If I am not Mal's number one love, what am I? Hmm. It's the opposite of worthless, right? It's worthy, right? If I am not Mal's number one love, I'm worthy. If I am Mal's number one love, I'm worthy, right? Like part of this work, like Sam said, you've got all the right tools. Now you got to figure out how to actually apply them. And part of them is just taking this fucking Rubik's cube of a brain that we have of these coping mechanisms and these response and responses and these triggers that we've been taught and given and inherited as children and flipping that Rubik's cube around until we find a better way to serve our true intentions. Your true intentions are not to self-sabotage, are not to compare yourself to other people because it diminishes you and other people ultimately, you know? So how can we find a way to readdress these things. If if you are not Mal's number one love, that is not the end of the world. That does that equation is not equals worthless. It is that you are still worthy, right? And yeah. how do we change that I that identification in your brain? So really end of the day, you're worthy. <laughs> like that's that's <laughs> the long and short of this. You're worthy even as you are competitive. You are worthy even as you may or may not be Mal's number one love. You are worthy even as you are processing through the fear that you have around that worthiness. Um, and and the goal here isn't to, to, to never have feelings, right? The goal here is to exp- understand those feelings, understand that they're trying to tell us something, and then decide what we want to do with that information, decide how we want to move forward. And it sounds like you're already on that path, um, but I think just practicing a little bit more grace and kindness and forgiveness for yourself for the fact that these coping mechanisms you're using are no longer serving you and you're trying something out that's different and that takes time. Yeah, absolutely. All right, my darling, thank you so much for writing and we hope this helps. All right. Our next letter comes from Hopeful Romantic, whose pronouns are they, them, and who is writing from a mix of concrete and slush. (laughs) Dear Sam and Sierra, how do I date if I don't like spending time with people who I don't already like spending time with? (laughs) (laughs) If that sounds confusing, welcome to my life. Okay, so some background to hopefully make it a little clearer. I'm in my mid-30s and I have been single for most of my adult life. When I say single, I mean truly single. Like, 
I had a couple of friends with benefits and several one night stands with strangers, but rarely anything resembling a relationship or even a situationship. The few relationships I have been in started by meeting someone through friends or at school or work, spending time with them in that context and realizing that we like each other and then going on dates or otherwise starting a relationship from there. The one notable exception to this is my most recent ex. I met them at a party, but we didn't have any friends in common. I felt an instant connection and attraction to them, and we ended up spending three or four hours just talking to each other. The next day, I got in touch with them and asked them on a date, and we stayed together for three years in a good, true love that we both thought would last the rest of our lives until unexpected life circumstances meant that we had to end it. Basically, I have only ever started romantic relationships with people who I already knew and liked at least a bit. For more context, this is also true of how I make friends. I can be slow to warm up to people, although I am always kind and friendly and people seem to like me when we first meet. And I am generally not comfortable reaching out to people to hang out before I feel like the friendship has already been established. I have sometimes felt frustrated with myself for not being able to make long-lasting connections more intentionally. But after a lot of introspection and therapy, I am coming to accept that this is just how I am, and I am learning to be okay with that. I have many people in my life who I love dearly and who I trust and know I can rely on, and I do continue to make new friends, just at a maybe slower rate than others. I hope this is making sense. Anyway, my question has to do with dating. I know that part of going on dates with people is about getting to know them and figuring out if you like them and if you want to spend more time together. In theory, that makes perfect sense. But in practice, I find that so unappealing and confusing. Why would I choose to spend time with someone one-on-one if I don't know whether I might actually enjoy that time? I mean, I know why. I just said it like four sentences ago, but I hate doing it. (laughs) And before getting together with my ex, I hated going on dates with random people I barely knew. That didn't happen very often, so I know I didn't give it that kind of a fair shot. But I also don't think that I present my best and truest self when I'm on a date with someone I don't know. When I'm working with someone I have just met or when I'm with friends and there are new people around, I think I'm a lot of fun. But dates feel forced and I can't hide the fact that I'm not having a good time. So how can I go about intentionally looking for relationships? I would love to meet someone and fall in love again. Sometimes I feel like if I spend enough time with the people I love and if I continue to do work that aligns with my values, I'll just cross paths with someone and who is perfect for me. That's kind of what happened with my ex and the romantic in me really loved how Mm. unexpected and unforced our how we met story was. Mm -hmm. I'm an Enneagram four, if that helps at all. But I also don't know how realistic that is. Do I have to find a way to learn to enjoy dating or at least pretend I do? Or do I just accept the possibility that I might be forever alone in the romantic department, but keep my heart open to the potential of meeting someone by accident? And to complicate everything even more, I do want to have children within the next five years or so. And while I'll do it on my own, if it comes to that, I would rather raise children with a person who I love and who loves me and shares my values. This has been quite a ramble. So thank you so much for making it this far. And thank you for all of the amazing work that you do. I have been listening to your podcast almost since you first started it. And you are so wise and so humble and so supportive of all of your listeners. You both have such a great talent for reframing questions with a new and helpful perspective. And you just radiate compassion through the airwaves. If more people did the kind of head and heart work that you do, the world would be a much kinder place. Thank you so much for writing Hopeless Romantic. Uh, We love you. We accept those very kind words. And we're so grateful that you trusted us with this question. I'm also so grateful that you told us you were an Enneagram (laughs) 4. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I mean that with love. Like I, the Enneagram helps me understand myself and my partners and my loved ones. Um, And it helps me understand you more too. And it puts this um, hopeless romantic 
um, search for the specialness in context that I understand from previous relationships, honestly. I want to start by saying a lot of these feelings make sense. A lot of these feelings are really intuitive, that they they are feelings that move you towards comfort and familiarity and away from discomfort and the unknown, right? Mm. And I don't want you to beat yourself up about that. I just want to, like, acknowledge it that, like, yeah, these coping mechanisms or, like, these – not even coping mechanisms, but these uh, life um, preferences – that you've identified make a lot of sense. Dating mm-hmm. is exhausting. Dating is forced a lot of the time, you know? And For of sure. course, when you're when you catalog your time as time spent comfortable or time spent that you know you're going to enjoy versus time that you don't know how it's going to go, that it might be uncomfortable, that it might be awkward, that it might be a waste, then of course you're going to swing towards comfort. Like that's very human of us. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like you could live like this for the rest of your life, you know, like enjoying the company of your great friends, um, focusing on your own peace and focusing on like, I, I want to sort of hang out with and spend time with people who I know and who I want to spend time with. Um, I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with that. And I, and I can deeply understand it too. Right. I think that a lot of us um, feel similarly around like, I don't, I don't necessarily want to be around people who I don't know or who I don't know that I like. And when it comes to your goals around being in a romantic relationship and um, having children, right? Dating is like a really effective means to get to those mm-hmm, goals, right? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the steps of dating can help us get there. And and the idea of like, I sort of just want it all to happen organically and, and all of that are not unreasonable, right? They're, they're not, they don't make you like a, a bad person or like ridiculous in any way. And we also like want a lot of things that aren't easy <laughs> or that like we want a lot of things to be easier or we want a lot of things to happen more organically. And that doesn't always mm-hmm. work. Right. Like I think that we've been told this idea um, and you've seen success in it, too, that like people will just sort of come into our lives and we'll find them. Um, right. Like the idea of a romantic comedy or the idea of like a romance novel where, where this will just sort of happen. We'll like bump into each other at work and like it'll all unfold. Um, and that doesn't happen all the time. Right. Right. And so thinking about like being goal oriented for you and maybe this will help you like reframe some of this. Right. It's not that you are putting yourself in front of people who you don't know that you like, but you're you're working towards a goal. You're doing things that you uh, I think are going to be effective in helping you get there. Yeah. Um, which takes the romance out of it or doesn't. Right? You <laughs> yeah. get to decide. You get to, <laughs> right, we get to decide what romantic is, right? And it can be deeply romantic to like go on dates with people and like get a drink with them. Like that can also be romantic. Like finding them yes. on Tinder can also be really romantic. We like we just get to decide what romance is, friends. It's yes. just a made up word. <laughs> yes. And I to pivot on that, the Enneagram for typically struggles with this idea of specialness versus sure, um, sure, sure. unspecialness or like um I, I'm here to remind you, hopeless romantic, that it doesn't have to be full on intuitive spiritual perfect romance, which I know, I know your relationship wasn't, but I'm saying like, it doesn't have to be f- romantic and full of love or 
totally alone for the rest of your life. Like, I feel like that dichotomy is set up a lot in fours where, where there's this tension of specialness. And if it's not special and exciting, um, it's not worth your time. And that's honestly what makes you some of the most fun Enneagram type ever. Like I loved a four. <laughs> okay. And they mm-hmm. made me feel very special. <laughs> <laughs> and also our love was not, um, our love was not sustainable because of the demand to be really special. You know what I mean? Um, and so I just want to like point out that, that those two extremes. And remember that, like Sam said, you can define romance in whatever way you want. And reiterating another thing he said, which is that like, um, the goals, the, the vision you have for your life often require the discomfort that doesn't feel special, that doesn't feel Mm. natural. You know what's not natural? Talking to strangers on your phone, like sparking up conversations after you swipe on their faces. (laughs) Like that's not, there's no evolutionary (laughs) like path for that. (laughs) You know, like that is going to, that's inherently unnatural. That, that only feels natural to us because we have like acclimated to it, but there's nothing like normal about that. If you can remind yourselves of that. Um, Another thing I want you to think about is that, you are wildly complex and so are the people you don't know. And you're seeing a fragment of them and they're seeing a fragment of you. And I'm not saying stay at with the boring dates. I'm not saying stay with the people that you don't feel connected with. I'm just, maybe that can be an affirmation you say to yourself that like everybody has a story Everybody has an intricate weaving that makes them themselves. And I'm only seeing one thread of it. I I want to be open to the universe. I want to be open to the complexities of, of humanness so that someone can then see my own complexities and meet me there in that. Intuitive relationships often don't have the foundations that sustainability requires, right? When it's intuitive, Mm. you don't know how to flex those discomfort muscles. When it's intuitive, you don't know how to learn more about the other person because it's just meant to be there for you. It's just meant to be, like I said, intuitive. You're just supposed to know how to like vibe with this person. Um, Mm. So maybe another perspective shift is that like those intuitive connections connections don't necessarily equal a long lasting relationship, right? Because, because you don't know how to work at it. Mm -hmm. I think it's just important to remember that relationships that start in lots of different ways are romantic, right? Right. Just because somebody met on Tinder doesn't mean that their relationship isn't full of romance and specialness and excitement and discomfort, right? Like all of that is true. Yes. And so, can you reframe to say that like the 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 best way to do this or the most special way to do this is to find someone and have a meet cute and know that I like them and reframe it to remember that all relationships are special because they're all unique. They are all different. They are all products of the two people that are in them and the context that they're yeah. sitting in. So working towards a goal can be really romantic and it can be really special. Yeah. And how are you supporting yourself in that romance and in that specialness and doing it in a way that that fits you, right? Doing it in a way that that speaks to your authenticity. But the expectation that everyone knows and loves us deeply or and understands us deeply before we can like consider them a friend or consider them a, a romantic partner um, 
is going to set you up for failure because part of dating people, even if you meet in a really cute way, is about learning about them, wow, is about finding things about them throughout your entire time with them, too. Right? Like, I'm still right. learning things about Peter. <laughs> like, right. and we've been together for a long time. Right. Um, so how can you find the romance, the specialness, the excitement in the process of learning about people, in the process of understanding people more deeply, even if that means you find out that you don't like them? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, even if that means you find out that you're not compatible. Yeah. Maybe the romance can be that you are putting yourself out there. Maybe the romance is you. <laughs> find, mm-hmm. Like, like not giving up on love. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that sounds yeah. very hallmarky. And I want to reiterate what Sam said earlier, which is like, we don't see any problem in keeping your circle small. We don't see any problem in not putting yourself out there and waiting for that connection to happen because we've seen it happen. We know it. We know those things happen. And right. also, like Sam said, putting yourself out there is like a pretty good strategy <laughs> to meet people, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So maybe the romance is like, I'm going to keep putting myself out there. I'm going to keep putting myself in opportunities in which I don't know if they're going to be fruitful fruitful or not. But at the end of the day, it's fruitful because I learned more about myself. I learned I don't want to be with this person. I learned that mm. I don't like this coffee shop. I learned that I don't want to have chicken wings when I go on a first date. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, whatever. It's a bold choice. It's a bold choice for a first date. <laughs> well, I think it's a, I think it's like a litmus test. Great choice. <laughs> yeah, sure. Like that person's yeah, no, either going to fucking dig in with you or... <laughs> Honestly, I love watching people eat chicken wings. So I I would be totally on board with that. Yeah, I haven't had a chicken wing in, in like 12 years. So I don't know what the fuck I'm yeah. talking about. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my darling. Um, we are so grateful that you wrote in and that you listen And we hope this helps. Absolutely. Thank you for writing. We love you. All right, everyone. This brings us to the blind date segment of our episode. This is when we try and set you up with something we think you're really going to like. This week, we want to send you home with. It is a cute, adorable little podcast put out by the Gottman Institute. I've talked about the Gottman Institute before. They are like basically a research institution on human relationships and connections, and they've studied relationships and what makes them successful and sustainable for the last 30 plus years. And they put it all into data. And then the data goes into practice very much like our Lord and Savior, Brene Brown. Um, But uh, it's called Small Things Often, a podcast from the Gottman Institute. And it's like three to five minute episodes about research-based tips to help you improve your relationships in five minutes or less. Very consumable, very adorable. I, I I love that they're research-based. It's little things like um, there'll be a whole episode on like uh, affectionate touch. Like you don't have to have sex. It doesn't have to be intimate. It's just like maybe putting your hand, holding hands while you drive in the car. Like that, that show, mm-hmm. like that pattern, that, that practice actually shows that it helps a relationship statistically over time. Things like that. Yeah. And I like the phrase too, small things often. I like the idea of like that relationships are maintained by small things often. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's great. And my wife brought it to me, which is so, such a boner turn on. Cute. I I love that. I love when Peter tells me what my blind date should be. It's actually really helpful. (laughs) Well, yeah, it was like, oh, thank God I have a new blind date, but also like that my wife is listening to this podcast about relationship sustainability. Like yeah, romantic. Very okay. cute. Whatever. <laughs>
All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Just Break Up Pod. You can slide into our DMs, send us your favorite relationship memes, but most importantly, you can submit your questions about all matters of the heart at JustBreakUpPod.com, which is also where you can find our merchandise. This is the only place that you can submit your letters. So if you're sending them in the DMs or on Facebook messengers, we will not be answering them from them. We get hundreds of letters every month and we only answer like 12 of them. So we like to pull them from this one pile. Please remember to follow, subscribe, and give us a five-star rating and review wherever you get get your podcasts and consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you'll get an additional bonus weekly episode. Uh, Some highlights from those episodes that are coming up or have come up, uh, Sierra and I uh, talking about love songs and the the relationships in in love songs and whether or not they're good or bad. Yeah, the dynamics (laughs) in relationship songs or love songs. Yeah, it's very funny. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so check that out. Patreon.com slash Just Break Up Pod. This literally keeps the mics on and helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers giving them relationship advice. Just Break Up is a production of Duvid Media, original music, editing, recording, producing all magical things by our good friend Spencer Worth Davis. Make sure to check out his podcast, Finding Quantum Quest. And remember, the compassion that you give to others, you also deserve the forgiveness that you extend to those who have hurt you, you also deserve. You are just as wildly complex as the next person. So judge yourself and others just a little bit less this week. And if all else fails, just break up. 